Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. Well, magnesium is responsible for 300 enzymes. Yeah. If that's not true. It's actually 3,751. Hmm. And that was research from 2012 that discovered what's called the magnesome. Where did the 300 come? Well, there was this professor of medicine at Harvard in the 50s was fascinated with magnesium. Mm-hmm. And he was asked in an interview once, I mean, you, you got to understand, I dig till I get to the end of the trail, right? And I, I wanted to find out where did this 300 come from? And it was an interview that he did, and someone asked, Dr. Valley, how many uh, enzymes is magnesium responsible for? He says, I don't know. It's around 300. He pulled it out of his head. He pulled it out of his head. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Every journey through Lyme disease is different and cookie cutter approaches just don't work. You need to think like a ninja. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist McKay Rippey and this is episode number 152 with Morley Robbins, the Magnesium Man. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn how bioavailable copper prevents iron toxicity damage in your body, the hidden danger of iron supplements, and the critical role magnesium plays in your health that nobody is talking about. And our regular listeners out there may recognize Aurora's voice, Aurora's voice as a little bit gone. husky. Yes, <laughs> she's fighting gone. off a cold. And after our interview with Morley, Aurora's sitting here with her feet in Epsom salt soak. I am. It's quite nice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> also, we have been keeping track. I found this funny little stat that's available in our podcast hosting suite, and it gives us the top cities of people who've listened in the past week. So that would be a fun way to kind of let you know that you're not alone out there and lots of people listening to Lime Ninja Radio really from all over the world. The top 10, we only have one international city this week. So if you're out there in Canada, the UK, Ireland, Australia, get your buddies Head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and listen to Binge Listen. Binge Listen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Top 10 is number 10. Aurora, you start. We're number 10 is in Fulham, UK. Yay, UK. Floyd, Virginia is number nine. 
New York, New York in the U.S. Number eight, and they're lagging behind. Come on, New I'm York, represent. <laughs> Plainfield, Indiana is number seven. Number six. Number six is Ashburn, Virginia. Number five, Birmingham, Alabama. Number four, San Francisco, California. Number three, Fremont, Ohio. Number two, Manhattan, Kansas. That's right, Kansas, not New York. <laughs> and number one this week is Middletown, New Jersey. Woo-hoo. So obviously they had a party and binge watch. Exactly. Binge listened. Binge listened. (laughs) (laughs) So you can find Lime Ninja Radio on iTunes, on Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And always you can go over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and find all the episodes, 152 of them, and write-ups for each one in case you're wondering what that guest is all about. Okay, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about this week's guest, Morley Robbins. Morley Robbins had been a hospital executive and consultant for 32 years until he developed a condition called frozen shoulder, which opened his eyes to the power of natural medicine and set him on his path of becoming an expert in magnesium and magnesium deficiency. Through his organization's MAG, he is committed to educating as many people as possible about the magnificence of magnesium and ending the epidemic of magnesium deficiency plaguing the health and well-being of American society. Thanks, Aurora. And here is our interview with Morley Robbins, the Magnesium Man. Gordon Galloway, my organic chemistry professor, made sure I was never going to go to medical school. And thank God he did, because I think I would have been a horrible doctor. I would have been very frustrated. And that led, you know, not getting into 18 medical schools I had to kind of do plan B was, all right, well, if you can't be a doctor, then work as an executive in a hospital in Boston around, which is exactly what I did for 12 years. And then I went and did uh, hospital consulting for 20 years after that. Okay. And uh, it was an amazing, you know, journey, 32 years of, of being steeped in allopathic medicine, thinking and believing that these individuals actually knew what they were talking about. And and I've got, uncovered over the last, coming up on nine years now, that actually there's a whole lot more to the story. And, you know, we can't fault them for the fact that their training was incomplete. We can certainly pick at them for having the intellectual curiosity of a man. Yes, that's that's really the the crucial part. I, I find my favorite stories in listening to podcasts are physicians who've come across either a personal health crisis or somebody in their family, and then they get curious again because the, their own medicine yeah. isn't working, and they start scratching, well, what's going on? And then they dive deep into the research, and they go, oh, my goodness. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't aware. I didn't yeah, know. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a I've got a client over in, in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, this guy is he runs a group called the Veritas Medical Group, and he was the doctor's doctor. He went, you know, University of Texas Medical Center. He punched all the right tickets, 
and then he went to be family practice, and he he could connect the dots faster than anybody in the state of Texas. So he was on the cover of Texas Medical Magazine, and there was an article about him in Washington Post, and he was on a radio show in New York City, and and then five years ago, one of his patients said, uh, "When are you going to start treating this the problem?" and stop treating the symptoms. And he looked at this, at this, at this patient and said, excuse me? Because he didn't know what they were saying. Right. And he's been on this five-year journey, which has led him to me, because he couldn't help this one client who turned out to be a student in my training, my Copernican uh, Institute. And she was getting better on my root cause protocol, and so she told him what she was doing. He said, well, I got to talk to this guy, which led me to going over to Lubbock to train him and, and the nurse practitioners. He's got nine of them in his group. And it was an amazing experience to be dancing on mines. And you can imagine at the beginning, a lot of folded arms. Mm-hmm. And, and then um, 24 hours of contact. It was, yeah, 24 hours. It was two over two weekends. Um, the... the leader of the group says, well, how could we deny our patients this protocol? Right. And it was, it was a total, total shift that was, you know, you just don't know where those conversations are going to go. Now let's, and, uh, let, let's rewind a little bit here. So at what point did your arms get unfolded? <laughs> um, great question. <clears throat> I uh, developed a frozen shoulder. <laughs> I'm laughing because I just went through a shoulder thing of my own that I was going to ask you about, actually, yeah. at some point. Okay, yeah. so you have a frozen yeah. shoulder. Frozen shoulder. And, I, I again, I've been, I've been studying and reading about nutrition for 20 years. Oh, okay. I was, fascinated by the, I was fascinated by the subject, but yet I was working in the allopathic field. So are you – so, knew, yeah, so this the nutrition like low-fat, you know, th- that sort of nutrition – well, no, I did. I was more like Western A prep. Okay, good, good, good. I, so like real nutrition. Yeah, yeah, okay, real nutrition. I knew, <clears throat> I knew that um, Ansel Keys was not our friend and things like that. <laughs> okay, great. And so, so yeah, I I I get it, and I knew enough about that to know to know that the allopathic mindset wasn't everything, but I just assumed that it was getting the big things right. Yeah. And so get get the frozen shoulder and a surgeon wanted to operate and said, uh uh-uh, uh, I don't think that's an answer. And so I went to a health food store up in the Chicago area where I lived for many years and I I explained what the problem was and this woman said, Well, you need to go see Doctor Liz And I knew as soon as she said that I said, well, I don't do witchcraft because I knew, I knew that Dr. Lewis was code for a chiropractor. Oh, and, okay. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I said, sell, sell me some supplements. And so a couple months go by. I'm not sleeping. Oh. I, I mean, I literally, I can't lift my hand above my waist. Yeah. I'm miserable. Really what it was, it's a very interesting dynamic. I spent 20 years pulling a suitcase behind me yeah. to airports. Right, because you're a consultant. And, and, because I was a consultant, yeah. and what my body was telling me is, we're done. We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I and I didn't have the awareness that that's really what the message was. So after two months of, of misery, more misery, I go back to the health food store. said, come on, you must have something stronger. And the owner looked me in the eye, 
And it was one of these golden tongue moments. She said, Morley, we love you. Go see Dr. Liz. And I was my tail between my legs. I thought, oh, God, I can't believe I'm going to do this. <clears throat> and Dr. Liz uh, is a network chiropractor mm-hmm. who had, she had a room in Evanston where she had nine tables, nine clients, and it was a network of clients healing each other, and she would work client to client to client over the course of a 30-minute session. And if, and I walk into the room, and I, I rolled my eyes. I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. And in two weeks, I had complete mobility and rotation of my arm. <laughs> and, and prior to that experience, I knew that in a yardstick of healing, 35 inches was allopathic, and one inch was a bunch of wackos. And, and as a result of that experience, the yardstick flipped. Yeah. And I came to realize there's 35 inches of gifted natural healers, and one inch is a bunch of wackos called allopathic <laughs> physicians. And, and I, it, the, the, the experience was very powerful to the point where we are now husband and wife. No. So a, you married yeah, her. You married Dr. Yeah. Liz. <laughs> and, and, and so then, so in the beginning, the, the, I was on a sabbatical. I, I was, I had been involved in a very large hospital system based in Michigan, had 45 hospitals across the country, and I was asked to do a job. I did my job, and then I was let go mm-hmm. after being there for less than two years. But, it, but I had a, a ridiculous, um, parachute. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't have to work. I had, I had income. And so I basically was on sabbatical for about 18 months. And I read and read and read. And it was an amazing uh, journey. And then I started to write. Because one of her, one of Dr. Liz's clients said, you need to start writing about what you're reading. Mm-hmm. She said, but I think you need to use paradoxical intent. And I looked at her and I said, Excuse me? Yeah, help me she out. Re- What's, yeah. Reverse psychology. Uh, I went, oh. So I wrote a, a little I wrote a little tiny book called Let's Get Fat. <laughs> and it was a 10-step program about how to get fat. And, and people would, and we were selling them for like five bucks. Sure. And people, they, they were going saying, <laughs> it was really very funny. Sure. And they said, well, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing seven of these 10 Yeah. It's working. And I said, how's that working for you? Yeah. And they go, oh, my God, I didn't realize. And so then, then it led to a, 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 another article, which was called, Let's make a heart attack. Yeah. And, and again, 10-step plan, but I used seven of the 10 steps came from the American Heart Association. Yeah. yeah. And so then I used research to back up the fact that what they were recommending was a lie. It's so bad, isn't it? I know. And, and, and so then I was sharing that article with another client who was a practitioner, and she, she said, this is very funny. She said, this is great. I love it. She said, but I can't help but think step number eight isn't more important. And I looked at it, and I said, oh, yeah, stop, stop taking magnesium. And so I thought, yeah, maybe I should learn more about that, that, that thing called magnesium. I didn't know it. I really didn't know what it was. To be right, honest. right. I mean, I knew it was a mineral, but it, but that was about the extent of it. So I read Carolyn Dean's book, of The Magnesium Miracle. Yep. And it was, it was like reading a murder mystery, because then I realized why everyone was in the hospital. 
And for the first few years of my tutelage as a, a wellness guy, I said, use magnesium. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was really quite adamant about it. And practitioners said, well, well, if it was that simple, we would have figured that out. And, and in my arrogance, I said, well, apparently you don't understand it the way I do. And, uh, and so yeah. then that, but then I began to realize that there is more to the story, which led me to copper. I don't know. I really don't know how I got to copper, but I did. When but you're, when you're to, curious, you know, you see one sentence somewhere and you go, huh, right? That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Okay, that's exactly what it was. And it caught my eye, and I started to read about copper. And and I think in part it was because I was working with uh, hair tests. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the buzz in the hair test community is, oh, well, you're copper toxic. Yep. And that didn't make sense to me. Hmm. What does this thing copper toxic mean? And so I started reading all these articles, and then what I discovered was this protein called ceruloplasmin, which is a game changer because that's what makes copper bioavailable. Mm-hmm. And then I began to, to really go down that rabbit hole of bioavailable copper because when it's in that, when it's complexed in that protein, and to get, give you an order of magnitude and for your listeners to get an order of magnitude, everybody knows about insulin. You know, it's this really powerful hormone. Well, insulin has 25 amino acids, but it's a big deal in the body. Ceruloplasmin, or as it's also referred to in the literature, the ferrooxidase enzyme has 1,046 amino acids. It's massive. Has has eight copper atoms in it. At least it did when it was originally discovered by Holmquist and, and uh, Laurel mm-hmm. back in Sweden in '44. <clears throat> but they're surrounding it an oxygen molecule. Hmm. The, the complexity of it's a nuclear reactor is what it is. Huh. And and so as you really begin to understand how important that nuclear reactor is inside the body, and people don't know about it, especially the people who don't know about it the most are doctors. They're not they're not they're taught about ceruloplasm for Wilson's disease. Right, unless it's a disease process, yeah. Yeah, so one in 40,000 people have Wilson's disease. So there's 7,500 people in the United States who have Wilson's disease. And I truly believe that there's a bonus for any doctor who finds someone with Wilson's disease. Because they're always searching for it, but never finding it. Yeah. It's like a lottery ticket. Yeah. And, and so then, again, one of those moments, I'm reading an article about iron. Mm-hmm. And I really perfected this issue of stress and I, I call stress the magnesium burn rate. Yep. And it so is and it is. And and so I'm reading this article about iron by an Italian researcher and he uses the following phrase the greatest stress to the human body is iron stress. Mm-hmm. And I and I mean I, I was frozen. I was like, huh? And then I began to connect the dots. And the way I describe it is that magnesium is amazing at resolving symptoms. But if you want to solve the problem that's burning up magnesium, uh, okay. you, you've got to correct the copper iron dysregulation that's causing oxidative stress to create that chaos. And that's the part that's not... I only focus on three minerals. 
You need more magnesium. You need more bioavailable copper, and you need less iron. So can we back up just for a second on the copper? I mean, copper is a trace element. I mean, there's so little compared to some of these other minerals in the body, correct? Absolutely. But but think about it. There's there's For every copper atom, there's 60 iron atoms. Think about how powerful it is. And, and you know, to use a, a military analogy, and I'm not, I'm not a military guy, but it helps people kind of connect the dots. <clears throat> how many foot soldiers are there and how many generals are there? Mm-hmm. And the generals are pretty much running the show, right? Yeah. And so the, what's happened is the, the elegance and importance of copper has been swept under the rug. Now, and what we're left left with is iron is, is running the body, and it's not. You know, there's lots of funny little things that happen as we progress as a society, and one of them is the replacement of copper pipes with plastic pipes. The, was any of that copper that we're getting through pipes bio could be absorbed by the body, or do we have to get it already kind of transformed by food first? No, you really need to be transformed by, by food. food. Okay. So copper, copper in the pipe is... Uh, plus two, it's not gonna can't can't work with it. Uh, what you have to understand is go back a few years before the copper pipes. What was it? It was galvanized pipe. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and then and they, then they went to the, the copper. copper. And now they're yep. using the now they're using the uh, plastic. <laughs> but the but the plastic is also getting off a copper residue. No. <laughs> most, people don't, most people don't know that. So here, here's so, a here's a funny. I'm going to interrupt just for a second. Here's a funny story, though. So, so the the copper, so the copper that's coming through these pipes, can that can be toxic? Correct, if it builds up too much. Absolutely, it can be toxic. Yeah, and that's where the yeah. copper toxicity comes from. So, for the, the body well, can't absorb it, it can't use it. It builds up in funny ways. Is that correct, or am I misreading things? Uh, you got to be really careful what you read. <laughs> uh, the, the, th- the thing is, um, again, here's something that really changed my understanding of what's going on. You have probably heard of Otto Warburg of course. and Hans Krebs. Yep. Hans Krebs. Yep. Okay? Very, very important clinical sci- scientists. I mean, these guys were top drawer. And... You know, Warburg gets the Nobel in 31 for discovering the respiratory enzyme. Yep. We call that complex four today. It's a big deal. And Krebs in 54 gets the Nobel for the Krebs cycle, which is all about complex two, right? So <clears throat> what's, what changed my understanding was in 1927, Krebs was working for Warburg in the lab in Berlin. And they were bleeding birds to create iron anemia to see what happened after they bled the birds almost to the point of death. Because hmm. they wanted to see how does the body and the blood respond to that kind of assault. Do you know what happens when you take all the iron out of the blood? I have no idea. There's a six-fold increase in copper proteins in the blood. No kidding. And they documented that in 1927, and they were obsessed with copper and iron in the blood, and that was the basis of their research back in the late 20s. Think about this. This is just before Warburg gets the Nobel. Right. And he's studying copper and iron. Now, 
what you have to understand is his understand Warburg's understanding was that the respiratory enzyme was iron dependent. So let me use an analogy to kind of blow that thinking way out of the water. I live in Louisiana, and we have fans in every one of our rooms. There's a fan in every room to have air circulation. And if we were to use the logic of Warburg, you would say that my home is fan-driven. <laughs> okay? Yep. And, and, and yet the fan doesn't work until I go over to the light switch and turn it on and release electricity that comes through copper wires, mind you, to get to the fan. And what Warburg completely misunderstood, or maybe he did and he was just doing a, a head fake, he said that complex four was iron dependent. Well, yeah, cytochrome C oxidase is a heme molecule, and it does in fact have an iron atom in it, but, but the heme A molecule and the heme A3 molecule are copper dependent, and that complex also has three coppers in it. So call me crazy, but I say that that complex four is copper-driven, not iron-driven. And why is that so important? Because <clears throat> that's the complex where electrons get handed to oxygen so that three ADP can be released to go to complex five where phosphate gets added and a magnesium ion gets added as well because energy inside the cell is not spelled ATP it's spelled magnesium hyphen ATP <laughs> and, the, and, the, and, and, the, and the body can't see it and the body can't use it until that magnesium ion is attached and, and Warburg didn't talk about that but what, he, what did he ask, but what did he talk about? He talked about the fact that when complex four stops working, that's when people get cancer. Yes, and the Warburg effect. Yep. The, the Warburg effect, and what is that? That is, there's a breakdown in the bioavailability of copper in complex four. How does that happen? When cardiolipin, the fat that's inside the mitochondria, gets oxidized. How do you think that fat gets oxidized? By unbound iron. Ding, ding, ding. And that's what either he didn't know about or he did but didn't talk about. And that's where, when people talk about mitochondrial dysfunction, I roll my eyes and I say, do you understand what you've just said? And most of them don't. Right. What's in and my, my, most, my, mitochondrial dysfunction is the inability to work with oxygen. Right. Period. And as soon as cardiolipin gets oxidized, it, right, it goes from inside the, right. the mitochondria to outside the mitochondria. And what's the signal? Let's take this mitochondria offline. <clears throat> right, because it's Apop right. Yes, apoptosis, yeah. right? Yeah. A apoptosis. And, it's, and it is all because of a lack of of bioavailable copper. So let me come back to your, your other your other point, and that is that the mouse model for hemochromatosis okay. is is to make mice magnesium deficient uh -huh. and then feed them iron. Okay. 
and they become they they develop all of the characteristics of hemochromatosis. And so why is that significant? Because when there's a lack of magnesium, the organism becomes really stressed out. The liver can no longer make ceruloplasmin. Magnesium is important in that process. And when there's no ceruloplasmin, or we can also call it ferrooxidase, when, when there's not that enzyme available to make the copper bioavailable, iron becomes a rogue elephant in the body. <clears throat> but it becomes confusing because it, it leaves the blood and it goes into the tissue. Yes. And that's, and that's where the clinicians miss it. They don't understand that dynamic. Well, they, there's so little done with tissue analysis. I think that's a big roadblock for understanding. They stop at the blood so many times. So let's well, just yeah, get... And, and, Let's see if I got this right. So we've got the we've got the superoxide that just produced in, in the mitochondria. So the superoxide gets broken down by superoxide dismutase into hydrogen peroxide. If you've got the hydrogen peroxide and this free iron floating around, they combine to these hydroxy radicals, which are now creating massive damage. And there's they may or may not be able to be broken down uh, at that point. Right. Do we have that right? Have that exactly right. And what I think is a relevant statistic is that the DNA defects in the mitochondrial DNA mm-hmm. can be te- can be ten to a hundred times greater than the defects in the nuclear DNA. Huh. That's right. They don't ten to a yeah. ten to a hundred times greater. And there's all kinds of this is the stuff I'm not so clear on, but there are all kinds of checks and balances within the cell checking out the health of the mitochondria to take them offline and recycle them if they're not. And this is the whole you know, the whole thing, the Warburg effect in the cancer and bringing things on and off and the chronic fatigue and you get all this other right that that's the mitochondrial dysfunction that people are talking about. But you're saying it goes all the way back to copper and magnesium exactly you got it's it's those two guys trying it again there are days when i think the fights between copper and iron there are days when i think the fights between magnesium and iron Mm -hmm. you know think think about this you you may have grown up in an era where where some of your colleagues and friends had really fast cars with shiny wheels do you know what those shiny wheels were called Mag wheels. Mag wheels, yeah. What was the mag name? What did that stand for? For magnesium. Ding, ding, ding. So they, they were shiny because magnesium resists rust. Ah. And so <clears throat> what I do in my work is I, turn, I try to get people to realize that they want to turn those mag wheels into mag cells. <laughs> and when I love a it. Lot of magnesium, yeah, when there's a lot of magnesium in the cell, it resists rust. Right. And, and most practitioners don't know how to measure magnesium. I mean, there's a study done at the University of Oklahoma, like in the early 2000s, and they did a survey, and 92% of physicians never measured magnesium. They never think to measure it. Even though 80% of people in intensive care units meet the threshold of the definition of magnesium deficiency, which means magnesium is so low it shows up in a serum blood test. Right, which you got to be really low. Really. Like dangerously low, yeah. That's scary low. So there's the disconnect. They're not taught 
and again, here, here's the here's the real the part of the reason why I've been able to break through some of those is I went to business school, and the aphorism of business school is what gets measured gets managed. <laughs> yes, and so we fixate on revenue and expense so we know what the profit is, right? Of course, it's, really simple. it's a really simple model. Yeah, and the, the guiding aphorism of medical school is not known because not looked for. And and the, the the level of not looked for just related to iron metabolism is staggering. Well, let me. I'm going to pause here for a second too, and I don't want to interrupt your train of thought. But I was I told the story a little a couple of weeks ago. I had my my brother-in-law is a potato farmer expert. So he's hired by potato farmers to maximize their crop. So he's sitting with one of his colleagues recently in my in my dining room and they're having this amazing discussion and it, it sounds like the discussion around Lyme disease and, and kind of what you're talking about. There, it's the same health, but the, pro, the it's about the health of a potato plant and not the health of a human being. And they've got all these metrics. And basically, it comes down to the same thing with business school is bags of potatoes per acre, right? But they have a measurement. And I'm thinking to myself, listening, what's the measure that we have for health of a human being? It's like, we don't have one. We don't have one. That's exactly right. It's brutal. How can how can we be healthy if we don't even know what we're talking about? Okay, here's here's the deal. The, the cell has a has a choice. It makes energy or it makes exhaust. That's it. <laughs> maybe really maybe works. heat. Maybe heat. Okay, but but, <laughs> but heat is a form of energy. Yeah. Okay. Heat fair enough. Fair enough. Energy. Yep. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. I I hear so, you. So, and and there is. Exhaust given off when you're making energy. I'm not a luddite, right? But, but the the thing is, what most people don't realize is that in order to make energy, you got to have that copper in complex four, and you got to have that magnesium in complex five, and and if you're trying to curb exhaust, all of the antioxidant enzymes with the exception of a, a few, but most of them are copper-dependent, hmm. like superoxide dismutase, catalase, glutathione peroxidase, thioredoxin. I mean, it's like, the thing is, it's like, it's a ridiculous uh, dependence on copper to make those antioxidant enzymes work, and back to the, the whole issue of magnesium resist rust. So just having magnesium has an oxygen-sparing effect in the cell. Then what do we have on the other side? Iron. What does iron do? When there's, when there's too much iron in the mitochondria, the loss of ATP production can be 40%, 60%, 80%, 96%, depending upon which author you want to go down. And what's the fastest way to create oxidative stress in the body and in the cell? Expose iron to these oxidants. Throw iron in there. Because, yeah, the Fenton, Fenton chemistry. Yep. I mean, Dr. Fenton discovered this in 1897, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, and it's like, what what I've have been looking for. You just put your finger on the pulse, which is, I know that I've, I've taken training with Jerry Tennant in Dallas, Texas, really gifted ophthalmologist who's who's got a book called Healing Is Voltage, but even Jerry Tennant doesn't have a singular metric for ATP. Because <laughs> really what it comes down to is what is the voltage of your body? Right. 
Yep. Well, technically, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be negative sixty-five volt millivolts. Hmm. And when you and when you have a cup of coffee, it goes down to fifty-five, <laughs> negative fifty-five. When when the NMDA receptor gets exposed to histamine, guess what happens? The voltage goes down to negative thirty. Goes way down, huh? Then it, then it it'll go down to zero as you're dealing with chronic issues, chronic health issues. Guess what? Guess what? Cancer is. Cancer is plus thirty millivolts. They know exactly what it is. Hmm. It is it's so little energy coming out of it. Right. Well, it's a, only one it's a metabolic disease. Exactly. That's Warburg got yeah. that part right. Absolutely got that right. Yeah. And now there's this foment about uh, genetic disorders, and it's like, yeah. what created the genetic disorders? Exactly. It's chicken and egg, and they got it completely backwards. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're if you're talking to a doctor about pancreat pancreatitis. They will look you in the eye, keep a straight <laughs> face, and tell you that the magnesium loss followed the infection. Ah. You know, and you're like, you look at them like, are you serious? And they really are. They really believe it. I'm like, well, where do you, where do you think the iron came from to create the infection? Do you give do blood? Do I give, donate blood? Yeah. Every quarter. Yeah. It's funny. I I stopped a because um, I I got Lyme disease and B earlier on was back in the HIV. My wife uh, grew up in South Africa. Her parents were missionaries, and they wouldn't mm-hmm. they wouldn't accept my blood because I was married to somebody from Africa. And I'm thinking, geez, I really probably could have done a lot better over the years. And I haven't been bad. I mean, I'm a pretty healthy guy. But no. it's like we're, we're designed, especially men. I mean, women have their own built-in bleeding mechanism. Right. We're designed to get cut and get torn up a little bit and lose some blood. Exactly. You know, uh, Jerry Sullivan, he was a, a famous cardiologist. He was a med student at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And he was in class. And they were studying heart disease. And he's thinking, he said, I wonder why women outlive men. <laughs> and, and, and he's thinking, oh, it must be because they have a monthly cycle. Mm-hmm. And so he went on to develop the iron heart hypothesis. Uh, no kidding. Which is very controversial. Yeah, I haven't so read his work. Few, oh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. But it's very, it's very thoughtful. And it, it came to him in a flash in, in the classroom. And the thing is, you're absolutely right. Women do have this monthly cycle, but they've been trained to believe that they're going to become anemic just at the mere thought of having uh, a menstrual cycle. And you're right. Guys have been, we, our ancestors were in battle. They would bleed a lot in battle or they were in the field doing things and suddenly get cut and they would bleed and that's how they would lose it. You know, the, the, the amazing thing is that in any given community, 5% of people are regular blood donors. Wow, just 95%, five? Wow. 5%. 95%, not so much. But whenever they've done a longitudinal study to compare donors to non-donors, the donors always outlive the non-donors hmm. for one reason. They have less iron in their body. Right. And, and I refer, I've got a uh, Facebook group, as you probably know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I refer to the members as magpies and magnets. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You, you have a very down. You have a very down to earth way of of communicating. I love it. Well, it's just I, the thing is, there's so much drama in in medicine. It's like, oh my god! And you know, I 
I would say back to your earlier comment, you didn't you didn't catch line, you allowed line. Yes. And and so it's like so what really happened was your copper zinc SOD, which is the first that's Mother Nature's antibiotic. Mm-hmm. Your your copper copper zinc SOD and let me make sure the listeners understand, copper is catalytic in that enzyme. Zinc is purely structural, but they go out of their way to make people think that zinc is doing something more than it is. But copper zinc SOD, it's also called SOD Roman 1. That's Mother Nature's antibiotic. It was low in your body, so when you got, I'm assuming you got a, some kind of a bug bite. Yep, tick bite, and, probably. And, and, and what, does, what does the pathogen shoot at us? They're called oxidants. Mm-hmm. And it's usually, it's usually superoxide is their preferred bullet. And so you didn't have superoxide dystrophies. Well, what is superoxide? Superoxide is an oxygen molecule mm-hmm. with an extra electron, and it's really grumpy about it. And dismutase is a stupid way of saying neutralize. And so SOD neutralizes the superoxide that's being shot at the organism by the pathogen. And you know who, the, you know who discovered that? His name is Joe McCord. He was a, a physiology student at Duke, and in 1967, he came across this enzyme, and and many people in the scientific community regard it as the greatest scientific discovery of the modern era to never win a Nobel Prize. No kidding. And and so Joe McCord's payback was he created ProTandem. Hmm. And so he developed a way to neutralize the iron-induced assault on our body and created a, a product that's helping millions of people around the world. Can I ask a sidebar here? Sure. Where where does nitric oxide come into this? <laughs> How much time do you got? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I recently so went down the nitric oxide rabbit hole and am absolutely fascinated by how that fits into this. Yeah, it is fascinating. Um, nitric oxide is a signaling molecule, as you know. Um, there's, there is uh, ENOS, NOS, and INOS. Right? And, may, and maybe uh, MNOS and, now, right? They've isolated MNOS as well. Yeah, for mitochondria. mitochondria you mean? Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So <clears throat> what you need to understand is that the, the, uh, those nitric oxide synthases must have bioavailable copper to work right. We're back to copper so, again, huh? So, yep. And so, so all they talk about in the in the literature is arginine. Of but, course. But that's because they want to keep the copper magnesium axis quiet. <laughs> now, is, is there a conspiracy? No, don't get me started. <laughs> okay. So, That'll be another interview. So, <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so we just had National False Flag Day on Monday, right? Yeah. So, okay. So, right. um, so the thing is... Um, okay, back to copper and nitric that, oxide. Yep. That, well, nitric oxide. So we have INOS. Yep. That's the one that should scare you. Yes. Because inducible. Now, put on your thinking cap. What, what heavy metal that tends to be dark would activate INOS? Don't tell me it's iron again. 
Ding, ding, ding. Yep. And so we have this shell game. You've been to a carnival where there's a barker and he's moving these little walnut shells and you've got a pee and you're trying to figure out where the pee is. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the nitric oxide literature trying to confuse you to such a point of that, that you're, you're drooling. You don't understand where everything's going. And, and there are practitioners who give nitric oxide to their clients. Mm-hmm. You do not give nitric oxide to someone who does not have optimal bioavailable copper. Because nitric oxide builds up in the mitochondria and it destroys complex four. Yeah, it's it's damaging. I mean, that's clear from the literature, too, is there's this two-edged sword to it. There's physiological very- levels and then there's this other level that, particularly with so, the INOS, the inducible. Right particularly to some side of insult, right? And it starts a whole inflammatory cascade. Right. So the the Nobel 2008 in physiology and medicine Mm -hmm. was for nitric oxide. Yep. And and what they do is, I mean, nitric oxide is used all over the body. Yes. And and one, one application happens to be in the artery to dilate it. So that you can help with blood pressure. Right. And that's just one. It's one tiny one, corner of it. One tiny. Yeah. One tiny. Exactly. And so then they say, well, it's perfectly okay to use this to try to improve arterial flow. And like, wait a minute. What is that doing to the, the energy production inside the mitochondria? Hmm. And what kind of exhaust are we creating by introducing? So the thing is, they love to talk about reactive oxygen species. Mm-hmm. ROS. So, ROS, and then there are reactive nitrogen species, right? Absolutely. Well, one of the authors I was reading uh, yesterday referred to them as RONs, reactive oxygen nitrogen species, and and then we're getting really close to the word IRON, right? (laughs) And so I refer to Maggie for magnesium, Mm -hmm. and I refer to Ronnie for iron. Okay. And Ronnie and Maggie are always duking it out. And what are they fighting over in the body? Oxygen. They're fighting over oxygen. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Do, you know, do you know how few people I've spoken to, McKay, who understand what I'm saying? Really understand? You're, you're, one of, you're like one of three people in the last nine years. Oh, that's depressing. Well, it's, well you it, got some work to do. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and you're doing it. I mean, that's well, you know, I'm, I'm doing my part. I'm trying to, and I'm, and I'm, what I need is a bigger microphone, and that's why I jumped at the chance to have this conversation, especially in this community, because I think so many people are lost in their uh, symptoms and they don't understand what's going on in this community. Well, it's it's interesting because so my training is as an acupuncturist. I come this by this honestly from from your. I started on that end. Actually, I I got interested in acupuncture before I was interested in health. I was in my still in college at this time, and you know you're perfectly healthy. Like you said, your magnesium levels are super high. Everything's great. You know what's what's exhaustion? You don't even know, right? But right. I was right. fascinated because they were talking about some of the the fundamental ideas that you have is that try to get to the center and you use the, the, the image of a Ferris wheel. It's like get to the center of the Ferris wheel. And so my entire training is about getting to the center of the Ferris wheel. And 
I th- for about the past year, I've had a friend of mine said, you have to go and check out Morley. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. No, I said, you don't understand. You have to go. This guy's on to something, and you guys are talking the same language. And anyway, I, I put it off and put it off, and finally got in, got hold of you. And I'm so glad you did because you – you you've got something. It's so clear when when you know when you're trained to look for the center of Ferris wheels. You recognize when somebody's got one. Now it may not be the complete center, but man, you're close. Yeah, you're so close. Yeah, it's a, and it's a it's, it's a quantum a leap from just hanging on the edge and you know trying to like you said fix symptoms. I mean that's just right. worthless. And and, and you know because because of your work, but but the system is set up to get people to focus on the seats. Yeah. The Ferris wheel. Yep. Don't look at the don't look at the axle. You know, just ignore the axle. Keep focusing on your seats. And it's like, wait a minute. And and again, I I don't even, I hope you don't ask me. So how did you come up with this idea of the Ferris wheel? I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> but it was just it, again. It was a chance to be playful. It's but perfect. It is. It's helped so many people realize. Oh my gosh, I never realized. And and the thing is, you're absolutely right. Have I got it all figured out? Well, you and I both know I don't. But but as you said, I think we're close with that image. And it begins to, when you begin to understand what the, the power and majest, majesty is of bioavailable copper and what the, the downside destructive nature of iron, un, especially unbound iron is, right. it's like, it's mind-numbing. And, and the th- here's the thing that, that really was important for me in, in terms of my thinking and the clarity of my thinking. If you read articles about iron, what you will find is that, that iron deficiency is the number one nutrient deficiency on this planet. The World Health Organization will say that as many as 2 billion people are iron deficient. I've seen that number. Right. It's, it's, it's referenced everywhere. So I, I'm a curious George. I said, gee, I wonder if that's true. And so I came at it from a different angle. I said, what's the composition of planet Earth? And 36% of the Earth is iron. So I'm thinking, so that what that means is the modern species can't metabolize the iron. So what's needed to metabolize iron? Copper. And it turns out it's, it's copper. Yeah. And, the, and the thing is, here's, here's a, to give the listeners a sense of how significant this is. Every facet of blood metabolism is copper dependent. So what does that mean? You can't make the heme protein without bioavailable copper. You can't knit four hemes together into hemoglobin without bioavailable copper. So where does... Okay, go ahead. You go first. Yeah. So the crane that puts iron into the center of the heme molecule, that crane is called ferro chelatase. Well, that's copper dependent. You can't regulate the lifespan of the red blood cell if you don't have bioavailable copper. Ah, no kidding. Okay. And the heme heme oxygenase 1 keys off of bioavailable copper. And so, you know, and then you find out, wait a minute, that the enterocytes that absorb our nutrients, well, they absorb iron, but they've got to be able to let go of it to get it into the bloodstream. Right. And what does that require? It requires ferrooxidase enzyme function. 
It's called Hephaestin, and it's a, it's a cousin to ceruloplasm, but you've got to have ferroxinase there. Well, how do we get iron out of the liver, the liver cells, the hepatocytes? We've got to have ferroxidase function. It's really, it's like, oh my gosh, and that is the ceruloplasm. And then for, for women who are pregnant, they've got to be exchanging minerals with the, the fetus. Well, the iron is the most important one, and there's an enzyme called zyklopen, C-Y-K-L-O-P-E-N. Nobody ever talks about it, but it's the ferrooxidase that allows for proper iron transport between mother and child. And so what we're faced with is this incredible um, circulation of iron is totally dependent on copper, and whenever there's a problem, the doctor says, well, you need more iron. More iron. Well, that's like with the bones and calcium. Oh, you need more calcium. That's so stupid. And, and the, mm-hmm. here's the amazing thing about iron. This, I think this might blow your mind. So the loss of calcium in bone, mm-hmm. which is hard tissue, is caused by iron overload. Ah. And, the build, and the buildup of calcium in the soft tissue, whether we're talking arteries or, or organs, is caused by iron overload. How amazing is that? So that it's working both sides of the calcium issue. Calcium is metabolic exhaust given off when the when the body is not working right. The calcium is here. Here's a, here's a um, a um, thought process that was developed by Dr. Fiedler. He was a famous physician in Vienna. He loved cardiology. He loved the heart. And this is what he theorized in 1899. Think about this. 1899. Stress causes magnesium loss. Magnesium loss causes electrolyte confusion. Yeah. Electrolyte confusion causes energy loss. Energy loss causes cell death. Cell death invites the, the regulatory natural regulatory process of inflammation to burn up the dead tissue and and then that process invites the natural process of fibrosis which is laying down cement to cover up and patch the patch up the holes yeah 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 patch up the holes yeah that that process that was developed in 1899 has guided my research for nine years. So my basic understanding up to this point was that the magnesium calcium are antagonists, but I never really got this idea of calcium being an exhaust product before. I mean, but because, because, because they want you to think of calcium and magnesium as antagonists. They want you to think of copper and zinc as antagonists. Yeah. Yep. That's it's, it's all because what they've what they have done, McKay, is they have created. You're familiar with the Merck Manual. Mm-hmm. The Merck Manual is a really amazing story, but it's not true. It's not real. It's just a story, and the way they've kept that story alive is by keeping iron behind the curtain and create the illusion that it's deficient. Everybody needs more. Make sure that the scientific priests believe that with every conviction you need more iron and then keep fueling the fan of 
iron toxicity through the food system and the pharmaceutical system, keep magnesium and bioavailable copper as low as you possibly can through the food system and the pharmaceutical system, and et voila, you get a society that's really sick worldwide who become dependent on synthetic medications. And they think that they need those medications because they have a, quote, disease. Disease doesn't exist. There is no, there is no medical disease. But there is metabolic dysfunction that's caused by mineral dysregulation. And what's the most effective way to dysregulate minerals? Give it too much iron. Hmm. Ding, ding, ding. And that, that took me nine years to piece all that together. Iron, you're familiar with the Wizard of Oz, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. Huh? When you when you go into the Emerald Palace, this big talking head, there's flames and thunder and all that stuff. Right. And, and people believe that, right? Yeah. Well, the Emerald Palace is called your doctor's office. <laughs> and, and, and what you didn't know is that I'm actually in that movie. And, and I'm in the climax of that movie. And I'm Toto pulling back the green curtain to reveal that the wizard is actually a snake oil salesman. And then what I've done is I've created a protocol for people. It's called the root cause protocol. And that's what Dorothy gets at the end of the movie. She gets, she's so upset because what happened? The snake oil salesman goes off in the balloon and she's, all she wants to do is get back home. What she really wants is she wants to get back to homeostasis, right? Yeah. Isn't that what the patients want? And, and so Glenda's there, and Glenda said, well, you've had the power all along. And Scarecrow says, well, why didn't you tell her in the beginning? And Glenda says something very important. She wouldn't have believed me if I told her at the beginning. Right, right. And so all these people go through this wandering through the, the, the uh, wizard or the Oz, chasing flying monkeys and, you know, killing witches, and they've, they've got to do all these incantations, and then they're ready for the answer. And what does Glenda say? Click your heels, and you can go back home. And that's what the root cause protocol is. It is so mind-numbingly simple, but what it does is it allows the body to get back to homeostasis. And that's that's really what the whole thing's based on, is, is giving people... A simple solution, and the, the challenge is most people are too smart, they know too much, and they can't believe that it's going to be a simple solution to their complex problem. <laughs> okay, there's so much going on here. I'm gonna, I've got my three fingers up in front of me because I got three, and I want to get back to the root cause protocol. I've got that in front of me on my screen, and that's where I wanted to end up this conversation. So it's perfect you're taking us there. But before we get there. I, this is this is another personal question. Where does Met Hemoglobin come in with all this? <laughs> You're not supposed to know about that, McKay. <laughs> well, what what do you think it is? Well, it's so I got to Met Hemoglobin through the nitric oxide and interacting with the whatever the ferric in there and inactivating the blood cells. So it's just carrying around. It can't carry around oxygen, these hemoglobins. And it's at a low level. It's getting ready. That's the stuff getting ready to be broken down by the spleen and reprocessed and so forth. But in some cases, it, it, it starts building up. So now your blood may have plenty of iron in and all, all the other minerals are in there, but it can't carry oxygen around. Right. Okay. So there are a couple of things that the folks need to understand. First of all, that, that iron 
is the master pro-oxidant on this planet and in our body. And what people need to understand is that there's, um, back to our earlier discussion, there's one copper atom and there's 60 iron atoms. And it turns out that there's no iron metabolism and there's no copper metabolism, but there is copper iron metabolism. Hmm. They're joined, they're joined at the hip of this ferrooxidase enzyme function. And it turns out that it's a ventriloquist act and iron is the dummy. All right. So that's, that's an important thing. Make sure people understand iron is the dummy. It's, it's, it's conflicts with everything they've ever been taught, but it's a fact. So then we come to hemoglobin. It's really important, right? Mm-hmm. Again, you can't, you can't make hemoglobin without copper. It's physically impossible. And what do you know about heptoglobin? H-A-P-T-O-G-L-O-B-I-N. Yeah, nothing. nothing. Well, see, there's the problem. You don't know that heptoglobin has to be equal parts with hemoglobin. And heptoglobin is an antioxidant. Hmm. You didn't know that. No. And the other, the other thing that, that folks don't know is that there, in the research in the, that I found in the 1940s, it was very clear that there's a, a perfect relationship between hemoglobin and catalase. And, but what surprised them was that if you want to increase hemoglobin in the human body, you've got to increase catalase first. So what does that tell us? It tells us that hydrogen peroxide is what kills hemoglobin status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you cannot make catalase without bioavailable copper. That's a fact. Again, that's not taught. You're not going to, don't run to a physiology textbook and look up how to make catalase. And if you don't see copper, say, what the hell is he talking about? You gotta get into the literature into the thirties and forties to find out what's really going on. And are you looking at this German literature? Primarily? No, no, no. No, it's in the US worldwide. as well. Okay. It's it, it's coming out of England, it's coming out of, of um Scandinavia, it's coming out of the United States. Everything was fine in the United States until World War Two. Yeah, oh until eighty four, okay. Well, what happened, what happened in 84? Yeah. Okay. I'm <laughs> Reagan, Reagan, Reagan did a line item uh, budget review and said, let's let Big Pharma fund uh, research. Ah, uh, okay. That's when it all changed. Yeah. So, so then, so people, the, the, to understand met hemoglobin, mm-hmm. why is it, why is it getting oxidized is there aren't the antioxidants that are supposed to be there. And the, and the, and the granddaddy of them all is, People have never heard of ferrooxidase enzyme. It's the Mount Everest of the human body. In my humble opinion, the two most important enzymes in the human body are ferrooxidase, which is the master antioxidant in the body, certainly in the blood, and cytochrome C oxidase. That's complex four, both of which are absolutely dependent on copper. And they are the, there's an absolute gap in awareness and knowledge about those two enzymes because there is a, a, I believe there is a, an orchestrated campaign to keep the minerals off to the side. And let me give you an example of why I say that. 
my my young I've I've got four kids, and um, my younger son uh, is really fast, clocked a four hundred two mile at Dartmouth, and she's also really smart, like his siblings. But he decided to go get a, a doctorate in biochemistry at at Stanford. But for Christmas a couple of years ago, he gave me his favorite physiology textbook from Dartmouth, and it was called Human Enzyme Physiology. Okay, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. <laughs> finally, I'm, finally, I'm going to get all the answers to the questions I have. It was a 9 by 12 textbook, 2,200 pages long. Oh, my goodness. It, it, would, it would break the average coffee table. Yeah. So what do I do? Whenever I get a book like that, I, I do the acid test. I go to the back, and I see, I look for the for the word magnesium to see how many <laughs> in the times index. it's referenced yeah. in the index. How many times do you think it was in this book? Two. Three times. Ah, <laughs> no way. I was going low. <laughs> once, once as a word and twice as MG plus plus. Ugh. Now, to give the, the listeners an order of magnitude, <clears throat> They, they read the literature, oh, well, magnesium is responsible for 300 enzymes. Yeah. But that's not true. It's actually 3,751, mm. and that was research from 2012 that discovered what's called the magnesome. Where did the 300 come? Well, there was this professor of medicine at Harvard in the 50s was fascinated with magnesium. Mm-hmm. And he was asked in an interview once, I mean, you, you got to understand, I dig till I get to the end of the trail, right? And I, I wanted to find out, where did this 300 come from? And it was an interview that he did, and someone asked him, Dr. Valley, how many uh, enzymes is magnesium responsible for? He says, I don't know. It's around 300. He pulled it out of his hat. He pulled it out of his hat. <laughs> and that is now not just Internet legend, it's scientific yeah, legend. Yeah. And it's not 300. Think of it. There's 9,000 enzymes that run the human body. And they all work just like the car you drive. So here's the question. When was the last time you drove a car without a key? <laughs> unless, unless you're Fred Flintstone, you don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. And so 9,000 enzymes, and, and they key off of one of five Minerals, and what are the five? And well, the the big ones are magnesium, yeah, and cop, copper, mm-hmm. selenium. Huh. You know, cobalt is important. Okay, you know, these, these these minerals that are found in our liver. Thank you very much. Yeah, and and the thing is, those minerals are lost to stress. Yeah, and that's the part that that people never realize is that this. These, what what happens is we, we live on a stressful planet. Let's face facts. Mm-hmm. This is not an easy place to, to live. You know, there's a reason why it's called the garbage dump of the universe. So it's really stressful. We're burning through minerals, which are affecting enzyme function. And when the enzymes don't work right, guess what happens? They create exhaust, which then create symptoms. And what does the doctor do? They lasso symptoms and they look in the Merck manual and say, well, here's here's what the story says you've got. Right. How can well, we shut down the Lyme symptom? Disease. Right. Yeah. You've got Lyme disease. Well, you've got heart disease. You've yeah. got whatever disease. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I live in Louisiana where there's some really smart farmers. <laughs> and, and, these, and these smart farmers know what it takes to have 
good crop yield or good production of, of animals. Yeah. They're really good about it. Yeah. They're really, like back to that potato discussion, they really understand what, what crop yield is all about. Mm-hmm. And they know how important minerals are to making Absolutely. Yep. And then they get an acre of pain, and what do they do? They go see the doctor, mm-hmm. and what does the doctor do? Tells them they've got a disease, and they believe it. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Right. It's the same mechanism right. that affects crop yield because there's exhaust that gets in the way of getting the right amount of pounds per acre or the right number of weight for the animal. It, exhaust gets in the way. And it's like, it, it, I don't know, call me crazy. Please put me out of my newsroom, okay? But I don't think it's that complicated. Until you challenge the conventional world and begin to ask different questions well, and begin to challenge assumptions, right. that's when it all changes. That was point two. That's Lao Tzu. So Lao Tzu says that smart people learn something new every day and wise people forget something every day. He says, my, mm. my mind's so empty, I'm like I'm in a coma. Well, the other thing that Lao Tzu also said was people would rather believe a simple lie than the complex truth. And so it's very simple to say you're anemic. And people know exactly what that means, and they live that lie. There are not many people who want to take the time to listen to you and me yammer back and forth about what anemia really is, because it doesn't exist on this planet. It's an absolute physiological lie because doctors have not been trained to interpret blood work properly doctors have not been trained in mineral metabolism and doctors have not thought to question their training well they question their training and they get kicked out of the club well that's right that's exactly what happens but, but then when they get kicked out of the club, then they get to do something very unique, which is pursue the truth. <laughs> no, so the, part of the reason I agree with, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. you well, know, no, I'm sure you do. And, and the thing is, the, the, what, what, what really was a, an important breakthrough for, for me was going to a um, wedding several years ago with my wife, with one of her colleagues who's a chiropractor, but his daughter had trained to be an acupuncturist, Mm -hmm. and her husband was an acupuncturist, and at the wedding party were acupuncturists from all over the world. It was a fascinating group of people to be around, and my wife and I were talking to this one group, and there was a guy from Australia, from Norway, and I believe he was from Germany, the other guy was from Germany, and we were talking, and this one guy uh, from Australia said, well, let me simplify it for you. He said, you really have a, you have a fundamental choice in healing. Either you attack the guest, or you strengthen the host. Mm-hmm. And what is foundational in acupuncture, and in any ancient healing art, is strengthen the host. Right. And that, and that became a real watershed moment for me to realize what the limitation of conventional thought was, was well, everyone knows that Western medicine is all about attacking the, attacking the guest, attack the guest. What's, you know, the war on cancer, you know? Right. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's, that's, 
what what do we need to do to solve cancer? It's not very, it's really not that complicated. It's really not that complicated. But people have been conditioned to to work a certain way, and they are conditioned to accept the simple lie, and they've been conditioned to not pursue the complex truth. It's social conditioning. And there are researchers out there, and you know this because you've done your own research, but there are researchers who speak the truth, and they're very proud of it. And what I've learned to do over the last nine years is when I read a, an article that speaks the truth to me, I've researched that person's phone number, and I call them, and I thank them. Hmm. And they've all thanked me for thanking them. I bet they have. Because they don't get many accolades for the work they do. No, they get the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, especially the ones who are really pushing back the tide of insanity. Right. Like a, like a William Wagelicki at George Washington University. Let me give you an example. In 1992, he, he did his training at Harvard, cardiologist, big deal, but he starts getting interested in magnesium. And what happens? They, politely ask him to leave the university. Right. Then you're, the, asking the, yeah. you're asking the wrong questions, yeah. Bill. So he gets moved to George Washington, and in 1992, he writes an article with uh, his colleague, Terry Phillips, in the American Journal of Physiology. So it's a you know, top-drawer publication, where basically they lay out the argument that the, the physiological event that precedes inflammation... Is called magnesium deficiency. Hmm. And it's a stunning study in 1992. Why is that significant? Because 45 people liked his article. You know, there's a way <laughs> in the academic community they can, they yeah. can like, just like on Facebook. Right. right? So they, they, they cite it, they refer to it. Right. Yeah, yeah, the citations, yeah. Ten years later, his colleague from Harvard, Peter Libby, writes about inflammation and atherosclerosis. Equally high, I think, I'm not recalling the exact publication for Libby, but it was top drawer. Ten years later, but there's one word missing in his in his article. Right, no magnesium. No magnesium. Yeah. How many scientists liked his article? Oh, hundreds or thousands, for sure. 4,500. Wow. Which is, which is staggering compared to the 45. Yeah. And so what did Peter Libby do? What he had, what he was charged to do is, again, what is, what is medicine all about? The next new shiny object. Hmm. And what he had to do is get people off this idea that there might be some reason why there's inflammation. Just get people to, to believe that inflammation was the cause of the disease. Mm-hmm. Now we, then we come forward. So that's, that's 2002. Then in 2015, Nagamura in Japan, came across something really, really important. He discovered that a buildup of cellular, it's called labile iron, which means free iron, right. inside the cell, inside the cell, activates the danger sensor of the cell. <laughs> the danger response. The danger response. Yeah. And the danger sensor is called NLRP3, mm-hmm. Nathan, Lima, Romeo, Peter 3, it's also called the inflammasome. Hmm. And so what, is, what, did, what did Nakamura reveal? That 
iron activates inflammation. And that's when I piece together Nakamura's irons causing inflammation with the lack of magnesium. Yeah. And so the thing is the locomotive of allopathic medicine runs on two rails, magnesium deficiency and iron toxicity. And just like any railroad track you've ever seen in your life, those rails never touch, but they're bolted together. Right. And there's, there, the only scientists that I know of who can, who will openly talk about, there are actually two that I know, that will openly talk about magnesium and iron are William Wigglicky at George Washington and Jamie Collins at the University of Florida in Gainesville. All the rest, I was talking a couple months ago, I was talking to Sir Douglas Kell. He's the world's authority on ferritin. He's at the University of Manchester. Very affable guy. Um, my age, I'm 64, I'll be 65 in a few weeks. And talking with him on Skype. And it's just a, just an incredible conversation. And, and I, I couldn't help myself. I said, I'm Dr. Dr. Kell, I'm curious, why don't you ever talk about magnesium? And he looked at me with this kind of look of puzzlement. He says, magnesium? Why, why would I... Talk about said, magnesium, right? And, and he had a very sincere response. He said, Morley, I've devoted my life to understanding iron. Mm-hmm. I don't have time. Time, right. Yeah. I don't have time to understand its yeah. impact on other minerals. Yep. And I was like, wow, there's the problem right there. Oh, it totally is. Right. Yep. Yeah. And so what I've, what I've labored to do is to to synthesize and bring connections, connect dots between different mineral communities to see what the interface is because that's that's when I've been able to really begin to see greater insight about what is this metabolic dysfunction all about and what is the process of trying to reverse it. Yeah, fascinating. It's fascinating. Now, before I let you go, let's quickly talk about your protocol and how people can learn more. Because we have just, basically what we've done is we've just handed people the menu. We put the menu down on the table and said, you know what? This is a great restaurant. You need to go take a look at it. But let's give some practical, I mean, you're talking about supplementing with magnesium. We all know that there's no magnesium left in the soil. It's just gone for whatever reasons. It's gone. So you have to supplement. But you say magne- it matters what kind. You talk about the magnesium oxide being the brightest burning, so that's going to cause inflammation. Magnesium citrate, you say, eh, not so great. So what what type of magnesium can you use? Well, first of all, and I appreciate the chance to, to um, bang my gums, and, and this has been an absolute delightful conversation. The, the root cause protocol has 22 parts to it. 11 parts are to stop doing things, and 11 parts are to start doing things. So I don't want people to think that uh, the root cause protocol is just pop some more magnesium and you'll be fine. Good point, it's, good point, yep. It, it, there's a whole series, of, and what I would really encourage people to do if they're interested in this is go to my website, the gotmag.org website, G-O-T-M-A-G.org, and there's a menu bar at the top, and the second choice is root cause protocol and there's a video right there where I yammer away for 52 minutes 
to explain to people what this dynamic is, particularly between magnesium and iron, and why it's important to manage it. And then below that video is what we're talking about, the root cause protocol. Part of the success of the protocol, McKay, is that I've gotten people to stop taking supplements that don't help the problem. Like, stop taking vitamin D. Stop taking calcium. Stop taking uh, iron supplements. Don't take synthetic B vitamins. They're all made from coal tar derivatives, for heaven's sake. If people knew what was in coal tar derivatives, they'd run down the street like their hair was on fire. <laughs> so, so there's this insane trust in the system. Well, well, this company has got a good reputation. They wouldn't sell me something. There are about 115 supplement companies on the planet. 110 of them are owned by Big Pharma. Mm -hmm. Do you think their motivation is to make really effective supplements? Seriously? No. They're just going to kind of push you around a little bit until you need more of their medication. So it's people have got to really wake up to the fact that there are 28 dietary dictums that I challenged and asked the question, is this real? Like iron's the number one deficiency on the planet. I've done this 28 times. And by the grace of God, I'm batting a thousand and all 28 of them have been lies. And, and the lie that people need to get straight in their head after iron deficiency is you have vitamin D deficiency. And that can be another conversation for us in the future. But, but I, supplemental, I call it hormone D. Mm-hmm. It is a hormone. It is a hormone. A supplement, a supplement of hormone D is poison in the human body. And I can prove it. Because I do hair analysis and I can see what it's done to every client that's taken uh, that supplement. And, and it has a massive impact on calcium and magnesium and sodium, and potassium, and copper status. Again, what people don't realize is that in order to make that ferro-oxidase enzyme work, you got to have retinol. That's vitamin A. Animal-based, yeah, vitamin animal-based A. Animal-based vitamin A. Yep. And guess what, guess what calcidiol kills? Called retinol. When you're taking 5,000 units of, of calcidiol, you, you're going to poison the liver. So you've heard the expression, America runs on Duncan. Mm-hmm. Well, your liver, your liver runs on retinol. It doesn't run on calcidiol. And cod liver oil has 10 times more retinol than it has vitamin D. Well, used to, though. Way, used to. I mean, now well, there, there are still, now there are still manufacturers that still make it available. Okay. Like Rosita's up in, up in Norway. So the, the thing is, there, the, there's a stop component to the protocol, and there's a start component. And so people need to do both, and they need to really rethink what they're doing and really got to challenge this mindless re- knee-jerk reaction to the phrase, you're anemic and you're, you're vitamin D deficient, hmm. when in fact they don't know the truth because the testing isn't being done. And again... I didn't know this nine years ago. I didn't know this five years ago. But in the last five years, I've come up with a very steep learning curve to find out what's really going on, particularly as it relates to magnesium, diavel copper, and iron. And then the, the starts focus on getting this body 
oriented around minerals in the water and magnesium, getting Mother Nature forms of, of B vitamins, mm-hmm. all of which have bioavailable copper to activate them. Huh. You know, what I've come to realize is that the B vitamins manage iron at the direction of copper. Thank you very much. <laughs> when you go into the research and find out what B1 through 24 does, they're all managing iron hmm. in, a, in a particular way. It's fascinating when you really begin to pull the curtain back. And Mother Nature knows, here's an example, Mother Nature knows you can't pollinate a flower without copper. And actually, you can't pollinate an animal either, because any animal farmer knows that if, it, if the animal's not conceiving, he adds copper to the feed and bingo bongo. They, they start to, to make babies. Hmm. So you got to have the copper. And what's in bee pollen? A lot of bee vitamins. Yeah. That, co- that copper color is copper. <laughs> and it's activating the bee vitamins. And, and the thing is, people need that bioavailable form of bee vitamins that they get in bee pollen or rice bran or, heaven forbid, beef liver that right. most people have been terrified to, to have. Well, in fact, it's... One of the, it's, I think it's the richest sources of B vitamins on the planet, yeah, yeah. richest source of retinol, richest source of catalase, richest yep. source of choline. I mean, we could go on all day just describing, and, and if you've ever seen, um, uh, what, uh, what was that move to show? Wild Kingdom, when the animal killed its prey, what was the first thing it ate? They it the ate ins- the liver. Yes, they go to the insides. And they don't eat the, it, the muscle meat. They no, leave, they leave that they behind. Also- they go instinctively for the liver because yeah. that's where all the nutrients are. Yeah. So we've been trained to do the opposite. Yeah, exactly. And I've talked to 4,500 people in nine years. I have a list of 10 people who got excited when I told them that they could actually eat liver. <laughs> ten, ten, ten. I recommend it. I recommend it all the time. And I get the same yeah, response. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, it's it, again, the protocol keys off of the need for magnesium and other minerals, keys off of the need for uh, bioavailable copper, and and keys off the development of supporting the production of ceruloplasm or ferrooxidase so that the iron can be managed again in the body, so, so that the iron circulation can begin to kick in again. And and it does work. I, I, can, I can assure you that people in... 45 countries around the world are untying metabolic knots that have been hampering them for years, right. some in, in some cases decades. Yeah. Uh, so it's just it, the, the protocol is designed to be metabolically accurate but be mind-numbingly simple. And, it, and I think people get offended by, gee, it's, there, there are two questions I get asked all the time. Um, uh, how long is this going to take? <laughs> and and what else do I need to do besides the root cause protocol? Those are my two favorite questions. And I said, well, the answer to the first question is, how long do you want it to take? Which always throws them off. And then and then the second answer is, why don't you just start with the protocol and see how that works? Because we've been conditioned that that the answer's got to be complicated. Mm-hmm. When in fact, it, Occam's razor is what applies here. Very often, the simplest answer is the best answer. Simple is amazing and so underappreciated. 
I had a patient. Oh. I had a patient once who I'm going to make this story super short. He was having diabetic. Uh, he was had a diabetic amputation and having phantom leg pains. And the intervention that worked the best was he stopped drinking cold water. Mm. And that oh made God, all the me. difference in the world. Right. So, but how do you get to that conversation with somebody that, oh, let, why don't you try, well, you know, why don't you try this and see what happens? You, you're not going to, you're never going to have that conversation in, in medicine ever. Mark Twain said it best. It's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. <laughs> it's what you know for certain. Yes. That just ain't so. And what the internet has done is created the sea of experts in the, public community and they know what they know and they don't know they truly don't understand that that the internet is owned by the bad guys that the internet is a it's a training ground for insanity and that they're just keeping people in this loop of of uh, medical disease it's it, it, it doesn't take long to figure out what what the game is and 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 I've advised many clients I say Stop using the internet. Well, how are they going to find you? <laughs> I know that. I know it. I, I, and they've said that to me. I said, that's a problem. <laughs> I, it's, it's a huge problem. But the thing is, you know, there, there's certain, there's certainly there are certain websites you just don't go to. I'm not going to say them on the air, but it's like, you just don't go there. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's very, um, yeah. well designed. We'll just leave it at that. It's well designed. Yes, they're defending something. That's for sure. Exactly. All right. Well, this has been this has been a, a, a line bender for me. It's been a lot of absolute uh, blast. I hope I hope you enjoyed it. I hope the people on the other end will get something out of it. And if there's an opportunity to continue the dialogue, I'm most welcome. Well, uh, very 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 willing to do that. And we can get into some of the more subtle aspects of this if you're interested. I would love to do that. And thank you so much. This went way longer than normal, and I appreciate your time. And uh, I'll let you know when this is up on the air. That's great. I would really appreciate it because I want to share it with my my community. And uh, I look forward to the chance to let people know that there's another, particularly within the community that you've had a lot of relationship with, I think it's important for them to know that there's maybe there's another way of looking at their situation yeah. very very important for them so. well said morley thank you so much you're very welcome you take care bye-bye that was a highly informative interview and i wanted to talk about at the end and he stopped he said to stop taking vitamin D. And that's the same thing that um, our vitamin K expert that we interviewed. Kate's Rium Blue. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's something I'm going to have to take a deeper look into. There's multiple there multiple reasons to look at that, including the CalMag balance and then the vitamin D and vitamin A ratios and balance. So that's something I'm going to take a deeper look into. So, Dad. Yeah. Did you hear about this <laughs> new anti-Lyme disease treatment that's being tested? Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> tested by whom? And 
anyway, it's just my mind's exploding here. Right. So no, tell me about it. Well, what this? Uh, what? First of all, that is the literal headline. They're literally calling it a new anti-Lyme disease treatment, which was a hilarious in its own right. Because what they're not saying is that it is an updated version of the Lyme Oh, you got to be kidding me! Yeah. So they're repackaging the old vaccine yeah. as a as a treatment for Lyme now. Yeah. That's just wrong. Yeah. On and, so many levels, right? But just the verbal acrobatics. Not only to not call it a vaccine, which is what it is, but to discredit the public reaction of the Limerick's vaccine within the article itself, what they've been, what they so did is- in this article, and then in previous articles as well, which makes me think that the, this is like a, a press release going out to a whole bunch of different uh, a whole bunch of it's different- an orchestrated yeah, ca- I think so. I think it is. Uh, it's just what they want to say is, oh, the the media and public reaction were so negative that this... They didn't give us a chance. Poor Lyme Ricks. I know. I know. Just because it gave people Lyme disease (laughs) doesn't mean it's a bad vaccine. Exactly. It's just they had bad luck. Maybe we'll have better luck this time. bad public reaction. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Is that one of your ninja nuggets? That is one of my ninja nuggets. Cool. I can't wait to read about it. So if you listeners out there want to know about more about the Limerix fraud that seems to be being perpetrated on us and other information about Lime, Lime headlines this week. That's Lime what the headlines. ninja nuggets are, right? Yep. The Lime Nugget headlines. Uh, head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and sign up. If you just go to the the main page there at LimeNinjaRadio.com, you'll get a little pop-up and sign up for the Ninja Nuggets. They come out every Friday, and they have great information like this that Aurora scours the headlines <laughs> for. Yep. All right. Thanks, Aurora. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. Did you know ninjas liked campfires with fire ants? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.